We're going to spend some time now studying the Bible together. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open your Bible to Philippians. We're continuing our series in the book of Philippians that we have called Risk Everything. Risk Everything. The idea of this series is that we would let go of our death grip on all the things that have given us security, all the things that we've looked to for stability and strength, loosen our grip just a little bit as we pursue and chase after Jesus and make him our ultimate goal, our ultimate investment. We talked about Jesus's parable of the treasure in the field, where the kingdom is seen as such an incredible treasure that we leave everything else and run with joy to pursue that treasure. And that's what God is calling us to in the book of Philippians. As we study the Bible, we recognize that Jesus is speaking to us with authority and relevance. And a lot of us are facing times of uncertainty, insecurity, weird times, uh, kind of different times in our society that we haven't faced before. The temptation will be that we would turn inward, that we would start to protect ourselves, that we would perhaps retreat. And Jesus is calling us to pursue him more and more. This week, as we look at chapter 1, verses 12 through 26, we're calling it Advance the Gospel. Advance the Gospel in three awful steps. Uh, I actually just changed the title this morning at the very last minute. I had started it off with something a little more clever, Advance the Gospel in three easy steps, right? Because that's how the infomercials go. And I thought, that's, that's not really accurate to the text, okay? Advance the Gospel in three awful steps. That's what we're going to see in the example of Paul, but also in the example of Jesus, that he says, this is something that you can do. To advance the gospel means to pursue Jesus. It means to trust the good news of the gospel that Jesus is for you through the cross, through his death and resurrection. It also means to then share that in your explanations to your friends and neighbors, but also in your serving them in love. So that's how we advance the gospel, but Paul's going to say we can advance the gospel even through difficulty, even in things that seem to be the opposite of advancing the gospel. So before we look at the text, I want to give you kind of a picture, an illustration that maybe will help you to think about this in a new way. I played football when I was a kid, and we had one basic goal, and that was to advance the ball towards the goal. That's how football works, right? And so in the game of football, we had this key play It was our most simple, basic play called the 34 belly, okay? The 34 belly helped us to advance the ball yard by yard. We scored many touchdowns. We made a lot of yards. We advanced the ball a lot with the 34 belly. Very simple play. The quarterback would hand off the ball to the fullback. He'd place it in his belly, right? That's why we called it 34 belly. The fullback is the three back, and he's running right through the four hole. So that's just kind of to the right side of the team. And he's taking that ball, and he runs hard. Now, I was a tight end. Tight end stands over here, and my job was to just block down on anybody that's in the way where the fullback is running, right? To clear a path so he can run and make some yards. It was a very successful play. Sometimes, depending on the defense, sometimes I'd come down and hit the tackle, the defensive tackle. Sometimes I'd come down, and I'd hit the linebacker. So pretty simple play. You hand off the ball. I'm hitting the guys right here. There's an open space. He runs, right? Simple play. We advance the ball time after time with that play. Then our coach wanted to try something new with us, and I wasn't so sure about this. The coach said, okay, this time, Dave, what I want you to do is I want you to hit the guy you're blocking, and then I want you to fall to your knees. So he wanted me to start 
and then basically fail with my block. I don't want you to follow through on the block. I want you to just hit him and then fall down on your knees and basically give up for a minute. And then I would crawl a few feet, and then I would look over my shoulder, and the quarterback would throw the ball to me. And it would fake out the other team, because we'd run that 34 belly so many times. This time, the quarterback faked the ball, stood back, and just tossed the ball to me. And so I use this illustration to show you what felt like failure to me. I fell on my knees. I'm crawling on the ground. I failed to make the block. People are stepping on my hands. Then I get up, and I catch the ball, which was glorious for me, because usually I didn't get to touch the ball at all, right? So I loved it. But it's just an example of how something that doesn't look like the obvious win ends up advancing the ball. And that's what Paul is pointing to in this passage. He's saying, hey, the stuff that's happening in my life, it looks like failure. It looks like death. It looks like imprisonment, betrayal. looks like all these difficulties, but Jesus is still winning. And what I want you to know is that Jesus can win in your life as well, that the gospel, the good news of hope in Jesus can continue to be advanced in your life as well, that we can continue to trust him and share him with others. Where are my glasses? Here they are. Okay, we're going to read the text now. Philippians 1, verses 12 through 26. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Let me pray for our time of study. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you haven't left us without guidance and without instruction, but you speak to us in your word, and we pray that your spirit would meet us here, that as we hear it, we'd be shaped by it, that we would find joy in who you are, what you've done for us, and we would see your call on our life, that we could impact those around us, that you can use us to bring blessing, to bring grace, to advance your gospel in this world. We pray that you would encourage us by it, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, the point of football is to advance the ball, right? The point of the Christian life is to advance the gospel. 
And gospel just means good news. The good news is that Jesus came for us. That despite the, the brokenness, the pain, the difficulty of this world, we live in a messed up world. We let other people down. Other people let us down. There's pain. There's, there's betrayal. There's all kinds of horrible things going on. But yet, in spite of all that, we have this good news that God didn't just leave us here to rust. He didn't just leave us here to die, to struggle, but he came for us. Jesus lived the perfect life. He died a sacrificial death. He rose from the grave, and that's our hope. That's the good news. And so we advance that gospel by trusting him, by saying, I know this world is hard, but I still trust you, Jesus. We also advance the gospel by talking about it with our friends and neighbors and family members and by serving others in love. Very simple steps. So that's the summary. Um, if you've got an important meeting to go to, you can go now because you've gotten the summary, okay? You've gotten the big idea. No matter what happens, you can still advance the gospel. You can still trust that Jesus is there for you, that he gave himself for you. You can still talk about that with other people. You can still serve other people in love despite difficulty, pain, and suffering. Paul's going to say, as a matter of fact, he can even use that pain and suffering to spread that good news, to advance that gospel in even greater ways. And so we've said this again and again throughout the series. Paul's going to balance this and come back to these themes multiple times. He's going to say, you don't purposely pursue pain and suffering and difficulty. You pursue Jesus. We're going to come back to that in a few weeks. He's going to talk about that more explicitly. You're pursuing Jesus. You're advancing the gospel. Sometimes Jesus takes you through great blessing. Sometimes he takes you through great suffering. But you're pursuing Jesus. He's the goal. He's the one that you're running after. Here are the three awful steps by which Paul models for us that we can advance the gospel. Three awful steps. One, imprisonment. Nobody wants to go to jail, but Jesus can advance the gospel through imprisonment. The second one is betrayal. Nobody wants to be betrayed. We've all been betrayed. But Paul is saying the gospel can be advanced through betrayal. And then the third one, nobody wants to die. It's a great old song, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. You all know that song? Even through death itself, the gospel can be advanced. Even through death itself. It's like, we're, we're invincible. <laughs> we can't be beaten. If we have Jesus, everything's going to be all right. So three ways that the gospel is advanced. The first one is imprisonment. We see this in the first few verses. Depending on your translation, it might say chains. It might say bound. It might say imprisonment. I'm reading the ESV here. It says imprisonment. In verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. That's where he starts off with this big idea that the gospel is still going forward. And he has to say this. Why? Because they don't think the gospel is being advanced. Why? Because they're like you and me. We expect the 34 belly. We expect the typical play, right? In our mind, the way that good news is spread is when we're happy and rich and comfortable. That's how we think the good news will be spread. And don't be deceived. The good news can be spread through our blessing, right? God can use uh, our lives being good and healthy and everything working out. God can use that for his glory. The scripture is clear about that. And so Paul's saying, but he can also use difficulty. He can also use me being thrown in jail, right? So he's helping them to understand, verse 13, it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So word is spreading through the guards. Uh, some scholars quibble over this because just because of the word all. He's just talking about this general 
firestorm of the word spreading from guard to guard to guard. Some people had taken it early on to be like, oh, does this mean he got to preach to every single, you know, like line them all up and have imperial guard church or something? That's not really what he's saying, right? The guards would be chained to him. He'd tell them. They'd tell their friend. They'd tell somebody else. He'd have a rotation of guards. It's spreading. It's this multi-generational spread of the gospel that rolls on for years and years, and we're part of that spread 2,000 years later. The gospel is advancing. You think it's bad. You're changing this guard. He's mean. He's got you in chains. But Paul's telling him about Jesus. He says the gospel is spreading. And then he says, verse 14, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. This is one of the ironies of the Christian life. As we struggle, as we fall, as we're getting stepped on and we're going through suffering and difficulty, but we're hoping in Jesus, we're telling other people about Jesus, there's something infectious about that. More people are emboldened to also trust Jesus in their suffering and to not think that Jesus is only there when everything is turning out well. So Paul is saying, well, for one, the guards are hearing the gospel. For two, others that are not in prison are emboldened to preach the gospel while I'm in prison. So he's saying, see, the gospel is advancing. It's, it's rolling out. It's going forward. Um, now, one of my favorite cross-references is found in 2 Timothy 2, 8 through 9. This is Paul, also in prison, talking about how the gospel is still spreading even though he's in prison. Listen to this in 2 Timothy 2, 8 and 9. He says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. That's a clue right there. If Jesus can rise from the dead, he can advance the gospel through anything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of King David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. It's the same Greek word for prison. Again, in different parts of the Bible, sometimes it says chains. Sometimes it says bound. Sometimes it says prison. He says the word of God is not bound. The word of God is not chained. Nothing can stop the word of God. And so if you're bound, you might think I'm limited. My resources are few. My strength is small. My circumstances are difficult. So God can't move in this box that I find myself in. And Paul says, no, God, God can move through anything. God can move through your imprisonment. God can move through your chains. God can move through your pain, through your disease, through your suffering. Because the word of God is never chained. It is never bound. And so I hope you find encouragement in that. Many of you are not going to find yourselves thrown in actual prison like Paul, Right? But again, he's saying chains, binding, limitations. You're, you're going to find yourself, though, in places where your opportunities are few, right? You're going to find yourself in places where you don't have the freedom that you want to have. You're going to find yourself in times, in circumstances where you can't do everything that you used to be able to do. As I move through middle age, I'm finding that to be a physical reality, right? That's, that's ramping up. I'm not as strong as I used to be. And that's just part of life. You might be perfectly healthy one week and you might have a terrible disease the next. You might have perfect harmony in your relationships one week and then it's shattered. And there's fighting and difficulty in your relationships the next week. You might have plenty of money in the bank one week and have no money in the bank the next week. And Paul's saying those chains, being hemmed in, being held back circumstantially, 
will not, will not hold back the gospel. The gospel can continue to roll forward. And as he talks about in 2 Corinthians, the gospel is actually in some ways more clear as we are depending on him by faith in the midst of our difficult circumstances. In many ways, people see it more clearly. Now, again, we don't, we don't run after it, right? We don't go, okay, well, then I want to be in jail, right? Like some people are worried that, that more and more Christians might get thrown in jail for preaching the gospel, that that could happen in our lifetime. Maybe, right? I'm certainly not going to pursue it, right? I'm not going to chase after it. I don't want that to happen. I would pray against that. I would vote against that. I would try to avoid that if I can. But if it happens, it happens. And I know that the word of God is not bound, right? It's like you don't want a terrible tragedy to happen in your life, but you're pursuing Jesus. And if tragedy happens, God can work through the tragedy. And that can be a springboard for the gospel to roll out. So others see you trusting in Jesus and not your circumstances, right? When your circumstances are wrecked, it's clear that you can't trust in them anymore. It makes it clear that your only hope is Jesus. And that's part of the benefit of going through an imprisonment, of having our our circumstances shrunk up and feeling hemmed in and feeling limited and feeling weak, is it teaches us more clearly to trust in Jesus. One of my favorite examples of this is Johnny Erickson Tata. Um, she was injured in a diving accident, and she's been bound to a wheelchair ever since. She's in the, the prison of a wheelchair. She has a limited functional ability physically. Um, early on, she started figuring out that she could paint by holding a paintbrush in her mouth. Later on, she started figuring out, oh, I can encourage other people that are handicapped in the gospel. Later on, she started helping other churches build ministries for those that are handicapped. She started camps for those that are handicapped. She started writing books. I mean, she's had this incredible impact for the Lord. And now, we have to always be careful with our, our what-ifs, you know, like what might have happened, but, but it's helpful to think about it sometimes. What might have happened if she had stayed healthy and strong? Well, I mean, you have to assume she wouldn't have had that same gospel impact on the handicapped community that she's had. She might have just been content with her circumstances and not grown in her faith in Jesus as she did. God can work through any circumstance. God can advance the gospel through our limited circumstances, through our imprisonment. And so the question for us is, what, what is our limited circumstance? What, what is the prison that you feel bound by right now? Is it a, is it a money issue? Is it an emotional issue? a relational issue, a physical health problem, circumstances? Are you worried about society at large? What is it that you feel like, man, I don't, I don't see how God can operate in this circumstance? Jesus says, Paul says in 2 Timothy 2, the word of God is not chained. It cannot be bound. It will not be bound by your circumstances. So I want to give you encouragement that God can still work through you and use you. Um, now, what do we actually do when we are thrown in prison or when we are handicapped or when we are going through difficulty, we are going through pain, we pray for healing. A great example of this is Jesus facing the cross. This beautiful model prayer of Jesus. Jesus says, if there is any other way, Father, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. So it's a two-step process, right? We see this modeled in the Psalms, when you're facing an imprisonment, when you feel chained by your circumstances, when you lose your job, 
when that relationship is shattered, when those difficulties come into your life, pray for healing. Ask God to help you. But then also remember that God can still be trusted. Also advance the gospel by trusting that God is for you as demonstrated by Jesus giving himself for you on the cross. So the circumstances may make you doubt, right? I'm sick. I'm hurting. I'm in pain. I'm doubting God's goodness. And you look to the cross and say, but I trust that God is good. I trust you, God. And the gospel is advancing in your own heart. And then you have something to share with somebody else. And then you can talk about that with your neighbor. Yeah, I'm, I'm trusting Jesus, even though this is terrible. And yeah, I'm praying for healing. I'm praying that that would be fixed. But I know I can trust Jesus. In the Christian life, so often we kind of swing to one or the other, right? We put all our eggs in the basket of healing. God, you've got to fix my circumstances or the gospel can't move forward. Well, that's not true. The gospel can move forward even if he doesn't heal you. Or we jump to the other side, right? I know that God can work through difficult circumstances, so I'm not even going to grieve or pray for healing, right? That's also kind of unhealthy. If you're going through difficulty, say, God, get me out of this. <laughs> that's perfectly appropriate. He's your father. He loves you. Run to him. You God, help me. But you got this model prayer in Jesus. If there's any way, take this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. Help me to advance the gospel in good and in bad. That's the example we have in Paul, the example we have in Jesus. The next thing we see is that we can advance the gospel through betrayal. We can advance the gospel through betrayal. Um, question for us as we think about this and look at Paul's life is, have you ever felt stabbed in the back? Have you ever felt betrayed? Paul certainly did. Jesus certainly did. We're in good company. I think we've all been betrayed in different ways. Verse 15 through 18, Paul says this, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from good will. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. So that's the good motivation. There are some that are emboldened in their faith. As he said before, I'm in prison. It's making some people stronger. They're preaching the gospel and they're doing it out of love. Now he's got this other, this other group. Verse 17, the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Uh, they see themselves as competitors with Paul. They're somehow jealous maybe of his following or his leadership. D.A. Carson, a New Testament scholar, is saying maybe they're just mad tactically. They're like, Paul, you shouldn't have gotten yourself thrown in prison. You should have avoided this. This is going to hurt the movement. And so now they're working twice as hard to get more followers, to preach the gospel more, to prove that Paul is wrong and they're right, right? They're trying to get people to leave the first church of Paul and go to the the first church of the smarter people that didn't get thrown in jail, right? And so there's some kind of competition. There's some kind of rivalry, strife, division is the, the idea of the language here. And he's saying they are afflicting him on purpose. It's like they're needling him. They're betraying him, which is crazy. What does Paul say? What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. This one's hard for me. I, I kind of get the prison thing. And I kind of get the death point later on that I'm going to come to. But this one's tough, right? Paul's like, there are other Christians preaching the gospel. And they're betraying me. And I'm glad they're preaching the gospel. I just, I kind of want one or the other, right? Like, I just want to like sweep out their legs and be like, they're the bad guys. Get rid of them. Because they betrayed me. But Paul's saying, they've hurt me. They're afflicting me. Yet I rejoice because the gospel's being preached. Isn't that crazy? 
Paul's point is that the gospel is advancing. Now, to be clear, they're preaching the gospel. In Christianity, in the New Testament, there's a distinction between preaching something other than Jesus. And in Galatians, Paul says, if you preach anything other than Jesus for you as a way of salvation, let them be accursed. Let them go to hell is the modern translation of that. Paul's very hard words for those that would say there's another way to be saved besides Jesus. So this is not what he's talking about. He's saying they're actually preaching Jesus and they're being jerks at the same time. It's crazy. Like, like in our ministry, we try to be kingdom focused. We try to be all about the gospel, right? So there are churches that don't preach the gospel. We don't partner with them. Then there are churches that preach the gospel. And I like them. And we partner with them. It's that in-between group that's hard to deal with, right? And that's what he's talking about here. This kind of open spirit of like, they're, they're preaching the gospel. Do they annoy me? Yeah. Do, do I not like the way they do things? Yeah, I don't like the way they do things. But they're preaching the gospel. Chase Bowers is the pastor at Temple Bible Church, old friend of mine. And he told me the story years and years ago. Different denomination. And they were having a contest, basically. I shouldn't say contest, but they were counting baptisms, Right? So two megachurches were in the lead with the, the greatest number of baptisms for the year. Uh, one pastor finds out that, you know, the other church is like four baptisms ahead of him. So he calls his assistant. He says, hey, here's what we're going to do. Um, tomorrow night, we're going to have a big banquet, big megachurch. We're going to have a big banquet for all the groundskeepers, all the janitors, their families, their brothers, sisters, their kids. What's going to happen is we're going to have a big banquet. I'm going to preach the gospel. We'll do some baptisms afterwards. I bet a bunch of the kids will get saved. We'll baptize them. We win. Isn't that just gross? Like, I was just so grossed out when I heard that story. But he actually preached the gospel, right? Like, we're judging his motives. That's what Paul's saying. Yeah, their motives are wrong, but they preached the gospel. Like, what do we, what do, we do with that? God, God uses messed up people. Now, here's the crazy thing. We want to think that the main reason God uses us is because our motives are always pure, right? Are your motives always pure? Now, I'm not as bad as that guy in the story, right? But are my motives always pure? God chose me by grace. God saved me by grace. God forgives me by grace. Jesus walks with me by grace. The Spirit indwells me by grace. None of those things are by my pure motives. And the same is true for you. Not that I'm saying your motives are as impure as mine, right? But they're not pure, God saves us by grace, and he uses us by grace. That's what Paul is saying. Paul's very open-handed here. He's like, yeah, they're jerks, but, you know, God's using them. Now, there's this key uh, thing I learned, another sports analogy. I was a terrible athlete. I just spent a lot of time. I just always have to make that clear, right? It's just the thing I spent the most hours doing growing up. So running races. You're running a race. You feel like someone's getting ahead of you or catching up on you. What do you want to do? You want to turn and look at them, right, and say, how close are they? Do I need to run faster, right? And the coach would say, don't do that, okay? Don't look at them. Look at the goal. That's what Paul's going to come to you later on. He's going to say, I'm pursuing Jesus. I'm not looking at this other stuff. I'm pursuing Jesus. I'm looking at him. He's the goal, right? Same thing in swimming. I grabbed a picture here of a swimmer looking over at Michael Phelps as Michael Phelps beats him for Michael Phelps' 37th world record, right? And this is not the way to win a race. Now, I don't want to be too quick to judge this guy, right? Because he's probably not going to beat Michael Phelps anyway. 
probably he's just like, hey, I'm swimming with Michael Phelps. I got to soak up this moment, right? Like That's probably what's happening. But here's the point. Don't obsess over those that are to the left and to the right. They might be edging you out. They might be hurting you. They might have impure motives. It's not your job to judge them, right? Jesus is pretty clear about this in the New Testament. Do, do we say this is right and that is wrong? Yeah, we make judgments, but we don't fixate on those people that are making our life difficult. We acknowledge it, we forgive them, we focus on the goal. That's what Paul is modeling here. So, so here's the process. Paul names it, right? Again, kind of similar, parallel to the first point. Paul doesn't just skip over it and say, God is sovereign, I don't care, people can hurt me, whatever. Everything's fine, right? Let me count my blessings. No, he says, they hurt me. They afflicted me, and now I'm going to trust that God is good. There's a process there. Again, the Psalms lays this process out really clearly. When you've been hurt, you name it. I've been hurt. That person hurt me. If you can make make it right with them, make it right with them. I'm sure Paul had words for these guys later when he got out of jail, right? I'm sure they talked. He named it. They afflicted me. It was wrong. We don't skip over that to the everything's okay because the gospel's being advancing. We, we name it. It's wrong. They afflicted me. It hurts. These are the steps to emotional health. Sin happened. This is painful. We try to deal with it with that person best we can. If they're dangerous, keep them at arm's length, but you still got to forgive them. You still got to wrestle that through with Jesus. And then you walk with Jesus. You say, okay, Jesus, help me to trust you that you're advancing the gospel. Even through that pain, even through that affliction, even through that betrayal. Are you taking those steps in your life? Recognizing that God can advance the gospel, that he can shine his grace through you as you learn to trust Jesus more personally, and then you get better at talking about it, right? Because you're realizing, I can't trust in that person. They betrayed me. I'm trusting more and more in Jesus. You're, you're, you're clinging. Your faith in Jesus becomes more and more crystallized. That enables you to talk about it more clearly. And it frees you to serve others in love. Because you're not turning inward in your bitterness and saying, i got to protect myself because other people are going to betray me. And so you're looking to the left and looking to the right and trying to make sure nobody's edging you out. No, you're focused on the goal. And that frees you up to serve others in love, to talk about this gospel and to trust it in your own life. Okay, last point. Last point, verse 19 through 26. We can advance the gospel even through death. Um, this is one of my favorite sections of Scripture, um, and I know as a preacher, I'm not supposed to have a favorite section. I'm supposed to like every verse equally, right? But, you know, I'm impure. I like this section a whole lot. Um, verses 19 through 26, uh, most of the paragraphs break it a little bit in verse 18. It says, yes, and I will rejoice. This is resolve. Yes, I will rejoice. Verse 19, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. I'm going to stop there. That's the first application. Even as he faces death, he has a confidence that the gospel is advancing. He's trusting the gospel. And how does that actually work? What are the mechanics that he's pointing to here? Do you see that in verse 19? I know that through your prayers, through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ. He's not saying, and I'm a great example because I'm super saint, the apostle Paul. And so I just trust that God will work through my death. No, he says, you're praying for me. I need you, Philippians. Keep praying for me. Through your prayers, I'm enabled to trust Jesus even as I face death. Through the spirit of Jesus Christ walking with me, 
I'm able to trust Jesus even as I face death. We see that Paul is a person like you and me. He's a human, a frail human that needs the prayers of the saints. He needs community. Do you have believers praying for you? And if you immediately think, no, nobody likes me. No, you need to ask them to pray for you, okay? You say, pray for me. I need you to pray for me. Don't just sit in your corner wishing people would pray for you. Pursue it. Say, I need your prayers. Spirit, I need you in my life. Fill me, strengthen me, help me. Paul says it's by your prayers, by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that I'm surviving this. And I know it's going to turn out okay. It's going to turn out for my deliverance. Verse 20, it's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So here again, Paul's going to explain this a little more. He's saying, I know I'm not going to be ashamed, and I'm going to face it with courage. Does that mean he's not worried about, about death at all? No, he's going to give some more explanation here. He's going to say, well, of course, he is a little worried about it. You're going to see that kind of worked out in the tension of his life. But he's going to lean towards faith in Jesus. That's going to give him courage. Courage, it's helpful for us to understand. Courage doesn't mean you're not afraid. Courage means you're like afraid and saying, oh, but Jesus is with me so I can face this. That's courage. Spiritual courage is not just being an idiot that doesn't fear anything, right? That's just being an idiot. Spiritual courage is saying, of course this is dangerous. Of course God has built in me a natural desire to stay alive. That's how God has made humans. That's our job, stay alive, right? But because I'm pursuing Jesus, and Jesus is the point, he's with me, he's going to help me, whatever I face, good or bad. So he says, I know I'm not going to be shamed. I know I have courage. Christ will be honored, whether by life or by death. Verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ, to die is gain. If you're alive, your purpose is to love Jesus, to trust Jesus, to share Jesus, to serve others by washing their feet, by helping them the way Jesus did for us. To live is Jesus. To die is gain. What is death for the Christian? We're trusting in the resurrection of Jesus. That means at death we see Jesus face to face. That means we look forward to what Romans describes as the, the final resolution of all things. All of creation along with us is groaning. We're like, man, I'm tired of my aching bones and my broken relationships and my never having enough money and I'm aching and I'm longing. Paul says in Romans 8, all of creation feels that way along with you. And someday the sons of God will be revealed. Someday it's all going to be made right and we look forward to that. The New Testament is clear that as we look forward to the resurrection of everything, the renewal of the cosmos, new bodies, everything being made right, no more disease, no more pain, all our tears being wiped away, as we, as we wait for that, even at death now, we're immediately thrown into the presence of Jesus. We get to see him face to face. Everything's good, right? So for me to live is Christ, it's Jesus, to die is gain. I'm not aching anymore. And so this might tempt us to want to make a quick exit, right? Paul's saying it's actually better to be dead. Do you see that? And so here's the thing. If you're depressed, if you're suicidal, if you're struggling, um, a lot of times we try to talk people out of it by saying, this world is better. Paul actually flips the argument around. He's like, he actually agrees with you and then says, hold on. He says, yeah, this world is not better 
but Jesus isn't ready for you to go yet. The reason you don't give up on this life is because Jesus has work for you to do. You're on assignment. So if you have this like ache inside you, if you feel like, man, there's something wrong with me because everybody else loves this world and they think it's great, but I think it's terrible. So I, must, I must have something really broken in, inside of me. Paul's actually saying, no, you're right. You're right. The world is broken. The next world is better. But part of how we're going to get to the next world is Jesus has you on assignment now in this painful world. And he hasn't let you off his orders yet. You're still working for him. So don't give up. Hang on. He has work for you to do. Here's how Paul explains it. So again, verse 21, famous verse, for to live as Christ, to die as gain. Verse 22, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. That means my whole purpose of still living in this body is to labor, to serve others for Jesus, for you, for God's glory. He says, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. He's still wavering, right? So like here, on the one hand, Paul is better than us because he so clearly sees that it's better to be with Jesus and then the point of living now is to serve Jesus, right? He sees that clearer than you and I do. We can admit that. But he's also a human like us where he's wavering. He's like, yeah, I, don't know what, I don't know what I want to do, right? He says, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So he's hard-pressed just like you and me. Although he's hard-pressed with the emphasis on the opposite from what ours would be, right? We would be, I'm hard-pressed because it's better by far to enjoy this wonderful world and to build my empire and to stay here. But I guess if Jesus wants to take me, I'll trust him and go to heaven, right? Like that's kind of how we talk about it. He's flipped it around. He's like, I'm hard-pressed. It's better by far to go be with Jesus, but he's got work for me to do. He hasn't released me yet. I'm here on assignment. You're here on assignment. This isn't just for apostles. This isn't just for preachers. This is for believers. This is for the human race. The picture of the scriptures is that the end times began at the resurrection of Jesus, and they'll resolve when your assignment is finished, when you're done. But you're not off the hook yet. He's got work for you to do. To remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. He says, I stay for you, right? Right? If you're struggling with this world, your purpose is to serve others. If you don't immediately see who those others are, find them. Pray. Say, God, where are they? I don't feel like I'm here for anybody. Okay, it's normal to feel that way sometimes, but you are here for others. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what Paul is saying. So if you're not sure who those others are that you're here for, pray. And then second step, open your eyes. Open your eyes. And if you're not sure, it's the first person you see. You can ask him to narrow it from there. But start with the first person you see. I'm here for others. Oh, my page is flipped. He goes on in verse 25. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and join the faith. Uh, the word no is not like prophetic, no absolute certainty. It's just like, that's what I'm thinking because this is how God works. That's the grammatical. That's, that's my squeezing the grammar of the Greek down for you. He's basically saying, this is what I think is happening. God's got me here on assignment for you, for your progress. Verse 26, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Ample is 
the same Greek word that was in last week's thing of, of like overflowing. It's just abounding, overflowing. Paul prayed that we'd have this overflowing, ample, abounding love in Jesus Christ. And now he's saying that my staying is for you to have this ample, overflowing cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So we can advance the gospel even through death. If God has you here, he's got work for you to do. Your assignment is fruitful labor. Even if you feel hemmed in, right? Even if you feel limited, even if you don't have the money and the resources and the time and the skills and all the things that you think would allow you to advance the gospel, you can advance the gospel, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, in a cracked jar of clay. You've got this treasure, and in whatever limited circumstances you have, you can trust Jesus and share Jesus with other people. Uh, One person that's famous for this kind of bravery in facing death is Jim Elliott, who is a modern uh, missionary that died, I think, in the 50s. Um, Jim Elliott is famous for saying this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliott and his fellow missionaries uh, were graduates of Wheaton College, a Bible college in Chicago. They went in the mission field out in the jungle, and they died. They were speared. Three of these guys, Jim Elliott, Steve Saint, I can't remember the other guy's name. Four. Four, four guys. The two guys we can't remember, and Jim Elliott and Steve Saint. They're speared. They were killed. Here's the thing. I want you to understand, even heroes like that and like Paul, they're still wavering, right? Jim Elliott and these guys, they had guns with bullets in them, right? They were packing. It's not like they just ran after it and they were like, you know what? We're ready to go be eaten by cannibals in the jungle. Let's go. Let's go. We want to die, right? Like it was, it's not that clear. They were like you and me. They were like, well, I guess we should have weapons maybe in case we get in trouble. They prayed. The Lord led them to, to give themselves away in the preaching of the gospel to death. And later on, the entire tribe came to know Christ. And D.A. Carson says that after their death, others were emboldened to preach the gospel. Thousands of students from Wheaton College after the death of Jim and these other guys became missionaries and started going all over the world to share the gospel. Here's the thing. Even if you don't go to another country to share the gospel, you are a missionary. He has work for you to do. You're on assignment. You're not off the hook. Your life is to be lived for Christ. Fruitful labor. Live for Christ, to die is gain, but he hasn't released you yet. You're still on contract. Acts 17 says he's decided the time, the place, circumstances of your life so that you would advance the gospel. None of us would have picked 2020 or, for that matter, 2021, right? But here we are. We're on assignment from Jesus. He says you can advance the gospel through a difficult life or even in death. Trust me. And we advance the gospel by believing Jesus has given himself for us, by explaining that to other people, by serving other people in love. There are a lot of ways to do that. So question number one is you think about applying this in your circumstances. If you believe that God can use you in difficult circumstances and even in death, does that free you up to just serve the people next to you, right? What does that look like to just love your neighbor your coworker, to serve them, to pray for them. Hey, how can I pray for you? To talk to them about the faith, to explain to them why Jesus is, is worth hoping in, to invite them to church. Those are simple next steps 
that if the God of the universe has a hold of your life and not even death can stop you, you should feel some freedom to be able to serve others. We need help serving on our teams here at the church. Um, just to be clear, uh, the church is doing pretty well, all things considered, with the pandemic, right? A lot of churches are closing their doors and really struggling, and God's blessed us financially. We were able to keep everybody on staff and kind of keep things operating. Um, but we've lost a lot of volunteers, right, just because attendance dropped out so much, and things are starting to build back up as people get vaccines and there are less concerns about the pandemic, right? More people will be coming back to church in a natural sense, but we need more volunteers, right? Just to operate, to serve people, to welcome people in the name of Jesus. We need volunteers to make that work. Um, so you might be attending thinking, oh, they're a well-established church, everything's cool. We'll, we'll know, like everybody disappeared for a year, right? <laughs> we need people to serve and to jump on board. So let me f- frame it again this way. This way, if, if, uh, if God can advance the gospel, even through your death, then maybe it wouldn't be that bad to like, serve kids in the children's ministry, right? <laughs> like maybe you could take that kind of crazy, risky step. It's asking a lot. I heard somebody in the back, yeah. Um, there are other ways to do that, right? Serving in the city. And many of you are doing this already. We've praised you already for the way that you served your neighbors through the ice storm, right? Taking people into your home, feeding people, giving people water, uh, gasoline, helping people out. You, you guys do this. I'm asking you to keep going, to trust that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Last, um, last application before I move on. Who's the person that you need to bless, right? Because here's this beautiful thing. Paul is facing death and he's, he's blessing the Philippians. Uh, what if you thought, my time is short, my time is running out? Who would you bless? Who are the people you need to call, you need to pray for, you need to make contact with? And you say, God bless you. This is what God's done in my life. I'm thankful for you. Encourage them. Who do you need to bless? Contact those people. So we'll end here. God tells us we can advance the gospel. If you're like me, your preference would be to advance the gospel through health and wealth and perfect circumstances and happiness and riches and freedom and everything being great. And as the letter of Philippians moves on, Paul says, Jesus can do that. Jesus can use you in blessing, and he can use you in hard times and suffering. Here, he's saying, you can advance the gospel through these three awful steps, through imprisonment, through betrayal, even death itself. I want to encourage you that it's true, that he's worth it, that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you love us. We thank you for the grace you've given us in Jesus. We pray that you would help us to live this in real and tangible ways. Not that we would be crazy and throw our lives away, but that we would pursue you. And as we pursue you, if you take us through blessing, we praise you. And we use that for your glory, for the advance of the good news. And if you take us through suffering, we praise you. We ask you for your help, but we Use those circumstances to advance the gospel, to trust you, to share our hope in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.